The sound of swooping horns signals the start of Richard Strauss's cheekily comedic Der Rosenkavalier, The Knight of the Rose. This music sets the tone for Strauss's bittersweet romantic comedy, a story replete with passionate dalliances, a love triangle, cross-dressing, wistful philosophizing, and fabulously sensual music. In this podcast, we'll discover that Der Rosenkavalier is no mere rom-com. I was always in floods of tears at the end of that one when she sent me away, I couldn't bear it. We'll hear how 20th century modernity meshed with 18th century elegance in Strauss's music. You're overlaying three centuries of music making in this, which is very, very important to Strauss. And when is an orchestra not an orchestra? When Richard Strauss is the composer. That's his mastery. It's in making the orchestra a huge palette to combine with the text of the singers. The orchestra is a character. Welcome to the Glyndebourne podcast. I'm Katie Derham. As the first scene of Der Rosenkavalier begins, we're plunged into the throes of the romance between Octavian, a young gentleman played by a female singer in one of opera's great trouser roles, and his older married lover, the Marshalin. As dawn breaks following their night of passion, Octavian expresses his love. It's just over a hundred years since Strauss and his librettist Hugo von Hofmannsthal premiered Der Rosenkavalier in Dresden in 1911. This was at the tipping point of the 20th century, when Picasso's Cubism was transforming the art world, Stravinsky and the Ballet Russe were pushing the boundaries of music and dance, and the theories of Sigmund Freud challenged people to explore the depths of themselves. Raymond Holden is the Sir John Barbaroli Lecturer in Music at the Royal Academy of Music. As he explains, Der Rosenkavalier was a landmark work for Strauss and was an unashamed celebration of both the present and the past. There are quite a number of anachronisms built into the opera by Strauss and Hofmannsthal, and this was done absolutely on purpose. The idea that it's set in pre-Mozart Vienna, the idea that we're actually having a Viennese waltz, the idea that we're actually looking at quite modern harmonies a lot of the time. So you're overlaying three centuries of music making in this, which is very, very important to Strauss. He's also aware that the waltz, in fact, had its roots in the 18th century. So it is a kind of interesting swirl of ideas that's very well distilled by Hoffmannsthal and Strauss there's no wasted music. There is no wasted material in Roars and Cavalier, even though it's nearly twice as long as the preceding three operas that he wrote.
After their romantic night, the Marshalin and Octavian are suddenly disturbed by a commotion outside, which the Marshalin supposes to be her husband unexpectedly returning. Octavian hides and then reappears dressed as a chambermaid called Mariando. And we discover that the intruder isn't the Marshalin's husband, but her brutish country cousin, Baron Ochs, who promptly propositions Mariando. <laughs> The Baron has come to discuss his engagement to young Sophie von Faninau, the daughter of a wealthy nobleman. Ochs asked the Marshalin to recommend a young man to deliver the traditional silver engagement rose to Sophie, and she volunteers Octavian. Strauss and Hoffmannsthal had originally planned to focus on the blustering Baron, at first calling their opera Ochs von Lerchenau. But their focus shifted as the female characters took form. Strauss's use of women's voices is one of the most striking aspects of Der Rosenkavalier, and indeed of most of his works. And here he employs the three female leads to great effect, highlighting, melding and contrasting each of their vocal qualities as Glyndebourne's music director, Robin Ticciati, explains. The female voice in Der Rosenkavalier is explored in a remarkable way. Octavian, Sophie and the Marshallin all have huge, huge roles to sing. They push the voice to its limits. Sophie, if you wanted to be bite-sized about it, this silver lyric soprano, the Marshallin more dramatic, a heavier, darker sound and Octavian, a mezzo, and the beautiful thing about what Strauss does is by the end of the opera they are all singing together, and it's as if these female voices have become one. The way he paces that through the opera is a remarkable thing. Felicity Lott has played two of the three female roles. She performed Octavian at Glyndebourne in 1980 and again in 1982. But the role for which she is world-renowned is the Marshallin. She's portrayed this part in numerous productions, perhaps most notably under the baton of the great conductor Carlos Kleiber. When I visited her at home in London, she explained why Der Rosenkavalier holds a special place in her heart. Yeah, it's just, just like flying when it's good. I, I don't know, something about his music. He, his wife was a singer, and so he understood about the female voice. He was in love with the his soprano voice. And the, the word setting is brilliant, and you feel as though you're just talking. As we've got your score here, let's have just a little look through, because I can see you've annotated it and lots of different sort of little symbols and so on throughout. Tell me about some of your favourite bits. Well, the, obviously the first bit where, where Octavian and the Marshallin are together... Octavian is all about him, really, I think. He's a very young man and he's thrilled to bits that he's got this, this wonderful lady and, who's in love with him. And uh, from that time onwards, you never see 
the loving relationship in a way with the Marshallin and, and Octavian. When all the hubbub dies away, she's left on her own and and she has the most wonderful monologue where she talks about how can it be that I was the young girl and I'm going to be the old woman and yet I'm the same. And that always makes me cry because, <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's so obviously self-evident but so true and, and the older one gets. <laughs> the more one still feels like, you know, a, a young girl inside and... and you realise you're not quite the same on the outside, but the words of this opera are so wise. When Octavian comes back in the first act, he's still bouncy and wants to put his arms around her and cuddle her and say, you're mine, you're mine, Set, tell me you're mine. And she's, she wants to sit down and have a chat, really, I think. <laughs> a nice cup of tea <laughs> or a glass of something with this. Not be poured and, and possessed by this young, enthusiastic Labrador that she's got. <laughs> and it's, it's most beautiful. And she, then she talks about stopping the clocks, which is famous moment sometimes I get up in the middle of the night and I I stop all the clocks but one mustn't be like that because time is also a gift of God The Marshallin sends Octavian away, telling him that one day he'll leave her anyway. And Act One draws to a close on a poignant note. With emotions flying high and a score which evokes the sumptuous music of the fading Romantic period, it would be all too easy to call De Rosencavalier sentimental. Raymond Holden again. Of course, for many people, Rosencavalier smacks of nostalgia. And when we think of nostalgia, we think of nostalgia in a kind of sentimental context. I don't think that's necessarily the case for Richard Strauss. But what I do think he was actually referencing was his love of Mozart. The operas of Mozart were of seminal importance to him, both as a performer and as a composer. And there's no mistake that when Strauss and Hoffman style talk about Rawls and Cavalier being their Figaro, they are very much 
true to their word when it comes to this music making and this composition. But Strauss was a very modern man, you have to realise, and he plays with the 18th century. For him, it's an utter fascination, not necessarily a, a nostalgia in a kind of uh, the way that it's generally understood to be nostalgic. Act two opens as Octavian arrives at Sophie's home to give her the rose on behalf of Baron Ochs. But the Baron's plan backfires. Sophie falls for the gallant Octavian before even laying eyes on the coarse Ochs. And in one of opera's most beloved moments, Sophie and Octavian join in a love duet. The presentation of the rose is one of the most marvellous moments. And Sophie has these extraordinary high, floaty, wonderful notes where she's saying she's never, never seen anything so beautiful or anyone so beautiful. performances by the singers are undoubtedly highlights of De Rosenkavalier. But as Robin Ticciati explains, it's Strauss's clever use of the orchestra that truly allows them to shine. The size of the orchestra is monumental. I mean, there are many, many instruments, but a lot of this score is pianissimo, triple pianissimo, fast diminuendos, quicksilver-like textures that the characters can also have this kind of Ibsen-esque intimacy. And that's his mastery. It's in making the orchestra a huge palette to combine with the text of the singers. And you have the waltz. I mean, this this idea of the Wienerisch Klang, this, this what is the waltz, what is the waltz in Rosenkavalier, and it changes, you know, the idea of the psyche within the music. The, the orchestra is a character. He uses everything at very specific moments, whether it's down to a single triangle note, a glockenspiel with vibrato. The markings in the score are fanatical, obsessional, and... It's in no way general, and that's the beautiful thing about tackling a score like this, that it must be free, living, breathing, and yet there is a precision that comes with it that must be heard. Position here For all its romance and tenderness, De Rosenkavalier is a comedy. Act three becomes increasingly amusing as Octavian sets in motion all sorts of comic mischief to trap and discredit Ochs. He wants to free Sophie from her impending marriage to the Baron and take her as his own bride. Raymond Holden again. 
Strauss was very particular that he wanted the audience to laugh. As he said to Hoffmannsthal, the audience must laugh, not just simply smile. He wanted it to be a popular success. He wanted people to associate with these characters. And, of course, uh, it is a very funny opera. It's also a very poignant opera as well. And it's that balance of, of the humorous and the poignant that makes it so special. Octavian's plan works. When Sophie's father, Faninal, arrives, he finds Baron Ox in a shameful state and the police about to weigh in. The Marshalin persuades Ox to call his marriage off and leave Vienna to avoid a scandal. As the three female singers assemble on stage, so begins one of the jewels in the crown of Strauss's opera, the sublime final trio for the Marshalin, Octavian and Sophie. Strauss's music expresses the joyful union of Sophie and Octavian, yet this is somewhat overshadowed by the Marshallin's more serious sentiments. The day she predicted has come, and she gives Octavian to Sophie. When I played Octavian, I used to be desperate in the trio. I mean, a big weeper, me, as you may have noticed. But <laughs> emotions, you know, we all have at least two layers of emotions because the Marshallin is saying, doing what she's always said she will do. She will give him, you know, without making him feel bad and, you know, give him away. But she's sad that it should be so soon and the first girl he meets. And Octavian is torn. I think between the two, he's fallen for Sophie, but he thinks that the Marshallin is wonderful and he'll always remember her. And Sophie is thrilled to bits and in love and has the man she wants. But she feels that she hasn't quite got all of him. Mm. Life, eh? Life, eh? It's a poignant ending to a comic opera with an emotional depth that has made it one of the most treasured of all time. Robin Ticciati believes that, although the finale is tinged with sadness, it's not the end for the Marshallin. We must remember that the Marshallin is, you know, Strauss asked for a 33-year-old young woman. And the danger is that you can focus on the piece as something that is about the passing of youth and, and time. But actually, I don't think it is about that. It's about a transition in someone's life at a certain moment. And her life will carry on. And in its, I think it's very important that we, we don't see it as a sort of museum piece ending. The music you've been listening to in this podcast is taken from the Decca Classics recording with the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by George Schalte. The role of the Marshallin was sung by Regine Crespin, Octavian was Yvonne Minton and Sophie was Helen Donat. <laughs>